0: Hello and welcome back to the Go Gamecocks podcast presented by the State Newspaper. I am sports reporter Greg Hadley and I am joined, as I always am, by my roommate slash fellow sports reporter, Ben Briner. Ben, we are living in the same house, but I feel like I have to ask, how are you doing?
1: This week is weird. It's weirder than most
0: weeks. And this beat is weird. It's, it's all very weird. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting time to be covering South Carolina football. Um, unless you were a South Carolina fan living under a rock or in complete, blissful, sweet denial. Oh, man, if there's a South Carolina fan living under a rock who's will say this
1: podcast, you go ahead, you flip it off right now, and you just don't
0: worry about it for a little bit. You'll, you'll be a lot happier, I promise. And if you're still around, I'm here to tell you South Carolina lost to Texas A&M 48-3 in a performance that... I believe it was the SEC Network's Paul Feinbaum described kind of as mind-boggling how bad South Carolina has looked these past two games, uh, counting the LSU game. And that's an assessment that is extraordinarily harsh, but I think entirely fair, given how completely one-sided and, I mean, you you, you run out of adjectives to describe just how truly awful South Carolina looked in this. That being said, Ben, I'm going to challenge you. Is there anything positive you could take away from this if you're a South Carolina fan? Hmm. Um, the defensive line was
1: pushed around less badly than it had been the previous week, the previous few weeks. Um... If you're a petty sort of South Carolina fan, it did push the quarterback position into question, which I'm sure some people like. I don't know if that's really a positive, but it, I guess, probably satisfied some people. And we found out Jalen Foster is in a position to not get uh, impossibly destroyed by SEC-level talent. He didn't play well, but... He actually played better than I expected. Granted, he also was playing at all, which is kind of an indictment of their depth and all that stuff. So, you know, you ask for positives, and I'm really just going down a kind of rambling road of bad things. So, yeah, not really.
0: I mean, I ask because, you know, after these games, I'm I'm tasked with writing about grades, grading every the pass offense, the pass defense, all that kind of thing. And after the LSU game, I was going through and I was debating whether you know whether that was a you know a C plus, a D minus, an F even because a lot of people were very mad after the LSU game. And I kind of gave myself I was like you know what that was really bad, but it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. So I kind of mostly gave D's and C's, uh, and I was maybe second guessing myself a little bit and then this week happened and that really reinforced to me that oh wait, no, there there is a another low that South Carolina could reach here. In fact, I might go so far as to say this is maybe the most embarrassing loss of the Will Muschamp era. The obvious competitor for that would be fifty-six to seven losing to Clemson in twenty sixteen. But that being so early on in the tenure, and given how good Clemson is, I would say that's, you know, maybe more understandable. Whereas this, Texas A and M is a very good team, no doubt. But South Carolina made them look like national championship contenders, which I don't believe they are.
1: Well, yeah, I I would not call that... In the moment, I would call that game, maybe right after it happened, it felt more embarrassing because it was mildly more one-sided. But I mean, realistically, that was a national championship team. That team was super good, that Clemson team. You had suggested that maybe the, the 2018 Belk Bowl was in that category, and certainly in terms of falling flat on a face without Debo Samuel that belk bowl is actually not a bad comparison in terms of as you said most embarrassing but i mean that was that was a pretty lifeless performance overall i mean i think i told someone the the biggest positive moment that the team had was when they almost got to halftime down only 14 nothing at which point you could potentially regroup. And then they had a busted run fit, gave a 52-yard run, also because the safety got spun around, and gave up a touchdown pass with 14 seconds to go in the half.
0: So, you know, it's got a good case. Pretty good t- case right there. Not to belabor the point, but I just think, given how much you're talking about a, a lifeless performance, it's worth talking about how after the game, Coach Coach Muschamp was asked about his team's effort, and he, he defended it, and he basically said they got out And to me, I mean, you could argue back and forth about whether that's coach speak or not. But either way you slice it, that is not a good look for South Carolina because either they, they didn't have the effort, they fell flat on their face, and there was something missing there, and that's, that's not good. Or they got out-physicaled, which means that they don't have the talent to compete on an SEC level with a good but not conference championship winning team.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think that it's especially notable because last season their defense was much, much more game against the Aggies. And I don't think this Aggies team is—I mean, it's better than last year's team, but I don't know that it's world's better than last year's team. Um, record-wise, it is because the schedule got easier and because they upset Florida. But it, it, that, that dichotomy was weird, and I think our friend John Whittle uh, constructed it rather masterfully by saying if the effort's not there— that means that something else is missing. And if that something else is missing, that's even more... It's weird to say that if the effort wasn't there, that would be less damning. But if the effort isn't there, you know, it, it would almost be better if the effort wasn't there because you can fix the effort not being there. You can't just fix not being talented enough.
0: Altogether, a pretty grim picture. One of the positives you mentioned which may or may not be a positive, is Wilma's champ opening up the quarterback competition again, because Colin Hill, I mean, against LSU, he took a lot of criticism, but compared comparatively, I mean, he looked pretty good against LSU when you look at his Texas A&M stats, eight for 21 passing, 66 yards, two picks, a 45.4 rating, very rough. In the immediate aftermath, it wasn't clear that they were going to make a change and then Coach Muschamp makes that announcement on Sunday. We won't know who the next quarterback is until Friday, is what he seemed to imply in in his Tuesday press availability. Friday or Saturday? I mean, he said it could go all the way, and
1: then he said they won't know at least until Friday. So, you know, also knowing how Will Muschamp operate probably means they'll know Thursday, so who
0: knows. One other thing he seemed to say... Tuesday was that it wasn't really a competition that included freshman quarterback Luke Doty. He talked about Ryan Holinsky and Colin Hill getting equal reps, but he kind of talked more about Luke Doty getting a package, which would seem to imply that you know he'll figure into the team's game plan, but not as the starter per se. My question for you is, given the fact that he went so far as to reopen the competition during the middle of the season after very publicly breaking from his last year starter to go with this new guy, Colin Hill. Is there any way you see Colin Hill retaining his starting job given this, you know, his performance and given that Wilmust Champ was willing to open this back up again very publicly?
1: So initially my answer was probably not, because you wouldn't open it up unless you kind of felt the change was gonna come. The more I've thought about it, the more I'm kind of I I really honestly don't know. I mean from a PR side, that will be a nightmare. It will be very weird and awkward, and it will serve to make no one happy in the quarterback room, I wouldn't imagine. On the other hand, you know, if they think they can score 40 on a bad Ole Miss defense and they think that Colin Hill is better to do that and Ryan Holinsky doesn't practice nearly as well as they hope, I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, it... I guess I wouldn't be surprised. It it feels weird to say. I mean, I find myself very waffling on this just because all the reports we got through camp were that Colin was a good step ahead of Ryan. Now, for all we know, Ryan Lincey could come out and have a bad first half and then they'll go back to Colin or they'll play Luke Doty a bunch. I thought the Luke Doty package stuff was interesting because we saw like a not insignificant amount of that against Texas A&M. I believe he had uh nine snaps uh some of that was in garbage time obviously so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i in, as i said initially i thought you probably got to give it to helinski and now i'm less sure
0: well whoever plays will be going up as you said against a very bad almost defense uh they rank last in the sec in uh you know opponent's completion percentage second to last in passing yards per game going into this matchup saturday Whoever wins that starting quarterback job will be in a position set up immediately to succeed, it seems like. Do you believe, given what you've seen from these first six games, that South Carolina's quarterbacks can take advantage of that, go wild? Or do you think that they are more in the vein of just you know running the offense efficiently? Because that seems like what put Colin Hill over the edge in the first place was his ability to run the offense, not necessarily rack up stats. But if there was ever a chance to rack up stats, it would be against Ole Miss's defense. It would be, and it's a weird case because
1: at no point in this season has it felt like, aha, this is an offense that's going to be able to just go bonkers on people. And, uh, you know, most of that, I think, comes down to the cast of playmakers. You just you don't have that many explosive players in the passing game. And, you know, you've got Jalen Brooks, who got targeted on three passes and dropped all of them. Uh, Shy Smith is kind of the only consistent one. You've had drop problems from Nick Muse. So I mean I I think it's I think it's the best chance to put up some of those big numbers since there's no FCS games or whatever. But gosh, I don't I don't know how high the ceiling is for this passing offense until it actually shows us that it can you know go out and and, and take advantage of someone and and looking at Ole Miss, the only kind of positive thing I would say for the Gamecocks on that front is that Ole Miss is definitely in terms of their pass defense more bend don't break. Than A uh, and M was in terms of A and M basically just said if you're going to beat us you're going to beat us over the top and maybe that helps maybe that opens up you know space in the flats maybe that opens up kind of something they can take a little more advantage of.
0: You mentioned Texas A and M style that definitely seemed very committed to taking away the run and just kind of daring South Carolina to beat them through the air and it didn't work. Kevin Harris, who had been so good for South Carolina through the first part of the season, got a season low of 39 yards on 13 attempts. Ole Miss, again, their defense, by any metric, the worst in the SEC at defending the rush. Do you foresee Kevin Harris bouncing back with a big game?
1: I think he should. The only thing that I think is, is tricky for South Carolina is they don't really have an offense that just lines it up and just starts smushing folks. But you know, Mike Bobo does have that in the playbook, and maybe we see some of that. Maybe we see some true fullback runs. Maybe we see a little bit more of their um, their their single back package. With they kind of like to run with sort of a wide front, because I mean, Ole Miss is just horrendous on the ground. They're so bad. So it could, at the very least, be a get right game for them. And if, you know, that running game can can mount some of those longer drives, it becomes a really notable factor because it means that they can keep that ridiculous Ole Miss offense off the field, which I think they would like to do.
0: You kind of beat me to the punch, is is we're talking about how truly bad Ole Miss's defense is, and that's true. But there's a reason that the Rebels are favored by 11 points, uh, according to Vegas Insider, and that's that their offense is almost as good as their defense is bad. One of the top units in the SEC behind maybe only Alabama, quarterback Matt Corral, is completing passes at a very high rate. The running game is putting up a lot of yardage on, you know, a lot of attempts, but they are still showing a great ability to to move the ball downfield. And South Carolina's defense has been just putrid over the past two games, giving up 100 points over a 1,000 yards of offense. This may be kind of a a leading or difficult question to answer, but is there anything that you've seen that would suggest to you that South Carolina can stand up to this kind of attack on the road? Not really. Uh, There's
1: one stat that really pops out to me that I keep coming back to, and it it keeps kind of uh, sticking with me as sort of a place where South Carolina would have to change a little bit what they did to take away one of uh Ole Miss's best strengths, and that's Olmis, you know, does a lot of stuff well on offense, namely in the passing game. And the number one thing they do well is that they're good at, you know, short controlled, efficient passing. They're good at, you know, turning first downs into second and medium, they're good at turning second downs into third and short or conversions, and they're good at converting third downs. And the problem is that is exactly the kind of thing that takes advantage of South Carolina's defense. South Carolina's defense, Will Muschamp spiritually has always been kind of a bend but don't break guy, which means giving up space. Oftentimes means giving up space on the outside to avoid giving up something over the top. Well, if Lane Kiffin just wants to stick with that and wants, and Muschamp says you know march march down the field nine plays at nine plays per drive, Kiffin's going to say please and thank you. And that could make for some problems because if you do that and then Elijah Moore breaks a tackler or two and some of those playmakers get going, then all of a sudden you might have yourself a bit of a track meet. And South Carolina can't afford to get into a track meet in this one.
0: Yeah, you kind of saw that against Texas A&M in that they were able to build long, efficient, methodical drives where maybe the run game didn't produce you know 8 yards every carry but they stayed with it they drove down the field and then in the exact opposite of what Will Muschamp's defense wanted to do they they completed they scored they scored a lot of touchdowns
1: they did and South Carolina when it's been it's best in the champ era has relied you might argue a little too heavily on its red zone defense some of the better Muschamp defenses have done that and This year, uh, at least according to one uh, advanced metric that kind of approximates—it's a little little more all-encompassing than red zone defense, but it's a pretty good number, and it has them at only 52nd in terms of that metric, and that's after they did a pretty fantastic job of holding Auburn to field goals. So if you take that out, it kind of drops them even further, and, you know, this might be a hold them to field goals kind of game— Because, you know, again, if you get in that track meet, finishing drives sometimes makes the difference. But for the moment, you know, Ole Miss is pretty effective at finishing those drives, especially for a team whose run game is only pretty good and not particularly great, because the run game usually kind of tells the tale in that part of the field.
0: You mentioned not wanting to get into a track meet, and yet it seems so inevitable that this game will turn into that. Which kind of brings me big picture, Mississippi is the favorite, the big favorite in this one, even a bigger favorite than Texas A&M was, actually. And given how much furor, frustration, anger, disappointment that accompanied this particular sequence of losses to LSU and Texas A&M, because they were expected, but they were not expected to be as humiliating as they were, my basic question to you is, What can Will Muschamp survive? He needs this win, I think, extraordinarily badly. But how much does a loss damage him? You know, we've spent, as you kind of referenced at the very top of the show, a week, this first part of the week, kind of parsing a lot of rumors about his future as a coach. And it's, I think, incredibly telling that even in the midst of a pandemic that is destroying athletic budgets, finances, that they're even you know, considering moving on from a guy with a $13 million buyout. I mean, how make-or-break is this for Will Muschamp?
1: Well, I know there's been some scuttlebutt that it could be extremely make-or-break. I haven't confirmed that. I don't know it. And I, I, I think some of it you have to let play out because some of it is mood. The reason it's a big deal now is because the last two games put people in a bad mood. That's common fans who might complain and might not renew their just regular season tickets and to be honest that's probably the big money boosters and realistically if any move happens the big money boosters probably have to finance it because this athletic department's going to have to get a loan from the sec realistically to meet budget this season that's a reality or they're gonna have to just cut all the way through the bone so You know, with that kind of financial situation and the financial strain that comes, you know, with all the moving parts of buying out a coach, you're going to need someone to pony up. As, you know, has been kind of mentioned a couple spots, Bob McNair was one of the big donors to that athletic department. He passed a few years ago. They have a new $50 million football facility. That ain't cheap. That comes, you know, partially. It's athletic debt financed. and has to be paid down. Um, I, I should say, I believe that's athletic debt finance, not 100% on that. But, you know, you would either have to come to a point where the money people are threatening to pull money is seriously, or one of them ponies up, and really one would have to pony up. So it depends how mad people get. If Ole Miss hangs 60 on them, is someone mad enough to cut a check, or are several people mad enough to cut, a, to cut checks that total in the multi-millions of dollars? Then you could see it, I think. If they're not, it drags out. And then, you know, how long does it drag out? Where do we go from there? Any win gets Champ a little breathing room. But, I mean, y- you know, it's it's year five. And, you know, not having a good record wouldn't— I don't think would have been a killer this year. But not having a good record and looking tremendously bad— is and you know this was supposed to be like a really really brutal schedule right now schedules ranked uh, i think one outlet has it about 18th nationally which is hard but isn't quite as you know it, it's not as hard as it was last year not as hard as it was the year before and you can explain off a bad schedule but all of a sudden when tennessee starts looking pretty mortal and LSU doesn't look that good and you're getting the doors blown off you you know that might change some hearts and minds
0: you kind of referenced it but even a win this weekend despite the fact they are not favored to win so this would be this would be a pretty sizable upset if they were to be able to pull this off and yet even that I don't think would you know cool the embers on must champs hot seat all that much
1: well I I don't know if it would cool it but it basically would just transfer more weight to next week Because if you're good enough to win on the road at Ole Miss, you should be good enough to beat Missouri at home. And if South Carolina were to pull two wins off and get to four and six, that's probably head above water kind of situation. But you got to do it. And this team to this point has yet to really do it. So I think at the end of the year, maybe we look back and we all have kind of different feelings on that front. But, you know, for now, Muschamp kind of said in his weekly press conference, he said he's just focused on four opportunities remaining, you know, starting with the first one against Ole Miss. And that's kind of the way he's got to look at it because each loss makes life a lot harder and each win moves them a little closer to being able to, you know, step off the gangplank for another offseason at least. It also opens up the fascinating question, which is if they did get to four wins, would they accept a bowl? Because realistically, the PR value of winning a bowl would not be all that high. And the PR value of just getting skunked in a bowl would be horrendous.
0: Man, you are really trying to depress fans talking about Mizzou and then a bowl game. I don't think they want to think that far ahead.
1: Listen, man, as I said at the beginning, it's been a weird
0: week. (laughs) All right, well, we will be back next week to dissect whatever happens this weekend in Oxford, Mississippi. Ben, have a great trip, and uh, we will also have more coverage as we get closer to basketball season as well, Uh, and hopefully we'll have some, some more people on the pod to discuss that. So thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.